0: Welcome to Covenant Presbyterian Church of Fort Smith's weekly sermon podcast. Covenant is a church devoted to theological depth, intimate relationships, joyous worship, relentless evangelism, and sacrificial service. Coming up, a sermon from our series, Jude, Contend for the Faith. Here now is our pastor, Dr. John Clayton.
1: But you must remember, beloved... Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, and now and forever. Amen. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's go to Him dependently in prayer. O Lord our God, you instruct us by your holy scriptures. We urge you by your grace to enlighten our minds and cleanse our hearts. That reading, hearing, and meditating upon them, we may rightly understand and heartily embrace the things you have revealed in them. Give efficacy to the reading of the gospel in your word, that through the operation of the Holy Spirit, this holy seed may be received into our hearts as into good ground, and that we may not only hear your word, but keep it, living in conformity with your precepts, so that we may finally attain everlasting salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. In case you have forgotten, one of the general themes of Scripture is... Remembering. In the Garden of Eden, for example, Adam forgot the goodness of enjoying God and chose to break his covenant instead. Noah forgot the righteousness that he once preached and, well, drank himself drunk. Abraham forgot God's promise of a son and so took matters into his own hands. Israel forgot God's promise of His presence and they complained repeatedly of His perceived absence. It is no wonder then that when Israel was about to enter the promised land that God warned them repeatedly. And when I say repeatedly, I'm not kidding. I jotted down just a few passages of Scripture where God repeatedly, well... Deuteronomy 4, Deuteronomy 6, Deuteronomy 8, Deuteronomy 9, Deuteronomy 25, Deuteronomy 26, and numerous verses there in those chapters, God repeats Himself saying, Do not forget. Remember this. But they did. And in fact, in one generation... In one generation, they forgot the Lord, what He had done in delivering them out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. We too are a people prone to forget. As Moses said of Israel, we too forget that the God who gave us life is our God. Given this propensity, we find commands throughout Scripture to remember God and to remember what He has done for us. We are to remember, for example, Solomon. Remember, we looked at Ecclesiastes in the second chapter, or in the twelfth chapter of Ecclesiastes. Solomon says that we are to remember our Creator in the days of our youth. We are to remember the wondrous works. The psalmist says that God has done, His miracles and His judgments, and we are to remember all of this. We are to bless the Lord and, as the psalmist says, forget not all His benefits, which is a beautiful psalm that we are prone to forget. There is much to be said for remembering the One who gives us life, who gives us breath, who gives us everything. Thankfully, God has given us His Word contained in the Scriptures of the Old and New Testaments that we may go to it, that we may go to it and remember. In fact, this is one of the reasons why, as Christians, we must be in God's Word daily. Part of the reason is, is because we're prone to forget And when I'm in God's Word daily, I remember what God has done and said. And it's why Jude begins the conclusion of his epistle this way. Look at verse 17 with me. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jude is reminding the church then, and he is reminding the church Today, of something we already know, but are prone to forget. A remembrance here implying both caution and action. Through God's Word, we are given divinely inspired apostolic imperatives, such as this warning us of those creeping. Into the church unnoticed. Of those perverting the gospel. Of those perverting the grace of God. Of those denying the authority of Christ in His church. Those who mock the faith. And those who would seek to deceive us. If they can. We are prone to forget then. And so we go to God's word. We go to God's word to remember that we must be guarded against the works of our enemy lest we forget, and in forgetting, be deceived. And so I want to start with this first theme in this passage today. And the first theme is remembering and guarded. We are to a people who are remembering people, and we are to be guarded according to the revelation of Scripture. Summarizing the apostles' predictions... Of deceivers to come, Jude explains that the prophesied time has come. Present tense for Jude. The last time has come, Jude says, or we see this also expressed in the words, for example, in Acts of the last days. The last days are here, Jude says. And so they are for us. The devil is strategically at work. Seeking to infiltrate the church and so deceive us. These deceivers, Jude says, they're scoffers. Or I like the way the King James Version translates the word. They're mockers. Disparaging God. They scoff, they mock in their attitudes, in their words, in their deeds. Rather than governed by God's words... These deceivers follow their subjective feelings. The New English translation translates this as they are propelled by their own ungodly desires. In a description that sounds like it was written this morning, the Apostle Paul warns Timothy similarly. Listen closely to how Paul warned Timothy. But understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Paul said to Timothy, avoid such people. It's a long list that surely includes those who had secretly infiltrated the church, those of whom Jude warns us. And Jude says that such deceivers, well, they're only secret for so long. And then Jude says they eventually reveal themselves. Their presence brings not unity, but strife in the church. They, look at verse 19, they quote unquote cause divisions. They are enslaved to their feelings, motivated by selfish ambition. They have no regard for the peace and purity of the church. Where they should be humble, they are arrogant. Where they should be gentle, They are unkind. Where they should exercise patience, they're impatient. Rather than bearing with one another in love, they're out for themselves. And they consider themselves and their feelings and how they have been treated like a victim. They're not eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace because they are, and this is a striking statement that Jude makes, they are devoid of, Of the Spirit. They are devoid of the Spirit. Jude says they're worldly people living a lie leading to deception. It's a sad reality of these last days, but let me be clear. Nowhere does the Bible teach us that we are to believe ourselves or the church to be helpless victims without God given knowledge and warning. God's Word warns us of the problems of these last days. And so, going to God's Word consistently, going to God's Word regularly, we remember what God has said, and so we contend for the faith. But we do not contend in our own strength. Many of you memorized 1 John chapter 4, verse 4 in the King James Version. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. The presence of the Holy Spirit is a defining characteristic of the Christian. There is no Christian who does not have the Holy Spirit. But he or she who has the Holy Spirit is a Christian. For the self-same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead indwells every believer. In fact, Scripture says that he indwells us as a temple. As a temple of God. Though deceivers in the church are devoid of the spirit, let us be clear. We are not. We do not share that characteristic with the deceiver. And so we build, we pray, and we wait by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so the second theme that I want us to look at here is we are a people who are knowing because we have to God's Word and we go to God's Word, but we are also a people who are Spirit-led. We're not devoid of the Spirit. By His Word and Spirit, God has, according to 2 Peter chapter 1, and this is a wonderful verse to remember, listen closely, God has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. And so Jude exhorts us to live accordingly. He gives us a list. And i draw it to your attention. 1st Jude exhorts us to build one another up. And I love the way that he expresses this. We are to build one another up in our most holy faith. Isn't that a beautiful expression describing Christianity? It is our most holy faith. And in it, we are to build one another up. In other words, the very faith that saves us, builds us. It's not as if we are saved by this faith and then God says, do your best, go at it, try a little harder, do a little better, have at it. No. The gospel that saves us, we return again and again and again to that same gospel. Paul encouraged Timothy to remember Jesus Christ. I mean, that's a great thing to be reminded of, right? But even Timothy, the pastor, needed reminding. And Paul said, remember this, Christ. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. And likewise, we are to preach the gospel to ourselves daily. Likewise, we are to use that very same gospel to build one another up in it. But here's the problem. If I am not consistently preaching the gospel to myself, I probably don't care about you. It's the opposite of what we'd think, wouldn't we? We'd think, well, you know, that sounds a little selfish, preaching the gospel to myself every day. No, it's not because what does the gospel say? I'm a sinner. What does the gospel say? I can never save myself. What does the gospel say? My only hope is that God act according to His free grace. And so He has. And the Lord Jesus Christ. God made Him to be sin who knew no sin that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. And so I live out my life. And as I live out my life understanding that I am a sinner and there is no good in me but the grace of God in Christ... Then all of a sudden, I will thank others as well. It is integral to the Christian faith that we preach the gospel to ourselves daily. And you may say, that's not enough. I like your attitude. It may not be. I may need it more than daily. But at least. Together we must remember That God shows His love for us. That while we were still sinners, what's the verse say? Christ died for us. Oh, good job. Romans 5, 8. Get some Romans road memorizers probably, right? Christ died for us. We worship together based on the truth that our righteousness is in Christ alone. My hope is built on nothing less than my merit, works, and holiness. (laughs) Wrong, right? Yeah, it dragged me out of the pulpit for that, and you should. It's built on nothing less than the righteousness of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though deceivers seek to divide us, though deceivers seek to infiltrate the church and cause strife, we build one another up and we build one another up in our most holy faith. Secondly, Jude exhorts us to pray in the Spirit. And what Jude is doing here is he is setting our prayers as as Christians in contrast to the deceivers who are devoid of the Spirit. We, who have the life-giving presence... Of the Holy Spirit, we pray in the Spirit. In fact, our prayers are to the Father, through the Son, by or in the Spirit. And since our prayers are always in the Holy Spirit, Paul says this, and this is a beautiful expression to give encouragement to every believer who struggles from from time to time with prayer. In fact, you may be here today and you may say, I'm not very eloquent. I don't have the vocabulary for prayer. Sometimes I just don't know what to say. Sometimes I go to prayer and I just seem seem helpless. Well, good, because here's what Scripture says. Scripture says that the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. Paul goes on to say, For we do not know what to pray For as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Ah, There it is. As a believer, I am indwelled by the Holy Spirit. As a believer, I don't need to be the most articulate nor have eloquent words but i do need to be dependent and so dependent upon god's provision i go to him in prayer because the holy spirit provides strength in my weakness the holy spirit provides words when i have them not the holy spirit takes me before the throne of grace but for the sake of christ alone for my holy my heavenly father and your heavenly father hears our prayers. Third, Jude exhorts us to keep ourselves in the love of God, which I find a curious expression, and I imagine you do too. I'm to keep myself in the love of God, which sounds kind of like works salvation, doesn't it? I mean, I think, well, now hold on just a second. John says in First John, we love because he first loved us. So God's love precedes my love Ergo, how can I keep myself in the love of God? But what Jude is describing here is an expression that is akin to diligence. Fixing our focus on the love of God. My concentration, what I look to, what you look to, is to be the love of God. And in looking to the love of God, I live out my life accordingly. Here's the way that Paul explains it in very similar language. Listen to the first part especially of this verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verses 14 and 15. Listen closely. He says for the love of Christ controls us. I'm going to repeat that. For the love of Christ controls us. Have you ever thought of that? Have you ever thought with the love of Christ controlling me? That's exactly what Scripture says. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. In other words, what Paul is saying there is the love of Christ controls me because the essence of the love of Christ is Christ's life, death, and resurrection. The Christian life is not, it is not lived out in fear of punishment. If you have been taught that, if you have been raised that way, if you somehow have deduced that, it is an error. We do not live out our lives in fear of God's punishment. We also don't live our lives out as if pursuing reward. Rather, we look to the reality of the love of God. And it is the love of God, so much so that He gave His only Son. It is the love of God that controls us. The one who keeps himself in the love of God can say this to himself daily. Now, this is a verse I'm getting ready to quote to you. You probably have it memorized too. But I want you to listen to this verse in light of the love of God controlling us in light of the love of God controlling us, this I can say on a daily basis, and you too. I have been crucified with Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. That is Christian truth. Yes, our sinful flesh would like us to believe differently. Our sinful flesh would like us to believe that we could never get over something, that we must be a slave to our emotions, that we're a victim of everything, and everybody's at wrong except for us. Our flesh will preach this to us all day long. But you know what crucifies that? The gospel. That's why Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. He is preeminent. I am not. My feelings are not preeminent, but the gospel is. I am not a slave to any of this, but I am released, I am freed, I am unburdened by the gospel of Jesus Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live, and the life that you now live, we live by that most holy faith in the Son of God who gave himself for us in love. That's how we keep ourselves in love. Fourth, Jude exhorts us to wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And this is, Greek scholars tell us, this is a first century expression that is referring to the eager anticipation of Christ's second coming. We are to think often of that blessed hope, as Paul calls it, of Christ's second advent. Let us remember that at the resurrection, believers being raised up in glory will be openly acknowledged and acquitted in the day of judgment and made perfectly blessed in the full enjoying of God for all eternity. He who began a good work In you, Paul wrote to the Philippians, and to us. He who began a good work in you, in us, will bring it to completion on that day. It is what we refer to theologically as the final consummation of our salvation. Such mercy then, of course, is undeserved, but no less promised to all who by God's grace have believed On the Lord Jesus Christ. And since God's mercy is undeserved and God's grace is unmerited, we wait for our Lord's return. And how do we wait? We wait humbly. We wait in humility, living as conduits of God's mercy and grace to others. We live humbly as God's conduit of mercy and grace. others. The mercy Jude specifically advocates then is evangelistic. Deceivers in the church, they will prey upon the vulnerable. They will prey upon the gullible. And often in a church there are unbelievers. And of course they would be the most vulnerable, the most gullible. And though the believer can never be snatched out of our Father's hand, deceivers will seek a way to snatch away those who do not believe. And so this calls for not only discernment on our part, well, that's the whole book of of Jude, right? Discernment. But also what he is calling in this last portion is for us to have mercy on those unbelievers. We are to have mercy. I am reminded of the meal that Jesus had with Simon the Pharisee. You may remember that where Jesus is reclined at table and he is enjoying, I presume, a meal with Simon. Simon who had not washed our Lord's feet. But his feet were washed, weren't they? Do you remember how? By a sinner. Forgiven by our Lord Jesus Christ his feet were washed with her tears. Her feet, his feet were dried with her hair. She poured costly oil upon his feet. The Pharisee Simon had no regard for our Lord, but he also looked upon that sinful woman with disgust. The inhospitable, self-righteous Pharisee Simon had no regard, not only for our Lord, but no regard for this woman's repentance. Distinguishing the two, you may recall, Jesus said this, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. We who have been forgiven much must likewise look in mercy upon those whom Christ has forgiven. We must never lose sight of the fact that awaiting every unbeliever is judgment and eternal punishment. Scripture refers to it as an eternal lake of fire, a place according to Jesus that is of weeping and gnashing of teeth. The Apostle John refers it as having... Fire and sulfur. The unbeliever's only hope of being snatched out of that lake of fire is the gospel. And God has chosen to deliver that gospel not through artificial intelligence. God has chosen to deliver that gospel through us. We are the conduits that God has choos- chosen. The unbeliever's only hope, then, is to hear the gospel. Paul, in Romans chapter 10, asks rhetorically, How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Answer, they will not. They will not hear. They will not believe. They will not be saved. They will not be snatched out of the eternal lake of fire apart from the free offer of the gospel. And so if by God's grace, we are to serve as conduits of God's mercy, a mercy that is undeservedly received, a mercy that we show by carrying forth the gospel. Finally, I want us to look at the theme of keeping and kept. And I conclude with this. Jude concludes his epistle with this beautiful doxology, right? I mean, we, we use it some in our, in our liturgy, and it is beautifully written. But what I want to do is I want to point out to the significance of what these beautiful words say. Because here Jude is not pointing to the evil of the deceivers, nor the turmoil and strife that they cause in the church, but he is directing us to our hope, to the Lord Jesus Christ. And though the travails of this present darkness are real, let me remind you that we gain nothing by fixating or obsessing on evil. Rather, we look to him who keeps us from all evil, who keeps our lives Though deceivers strategically seek our stumbling, though they would love to see us ensnared in sin, it is the Lord, it is the Lord alone who preserves us, and it is in Him that we persevere to the end. For we are truly children of God, not in our own strength or our own merit, but in Christ and Christ alone. By nature, we are sinners, and we fall far short of God's glory. But by God's grace, through faith in Christ, we are justified as righteous. And look at these words in verse 24. And we will stand blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy. That's a joy. That is a Christian joy of reconciliation. That is a Christian joy of restoration. We will indeed Enjoy God forever. And all of this is in and through Christ our Lord, to whom we ascribe glory and majesty and dominion and authority before all time and now and forever. He alone we revere. He alone is preeminent. He alone subdues us to himself, rules and defends us, Restrains all and conquers all his enemies and ours. He is, as we confessed this morning, the only begotten Son of God. Begotten of his Father before all worlds. God of God. Light of light. Very God of very God. Who became man. And so was and continues to be God and man in two distinct natures, and one person forever. He is our only Redeemer and Lord. And so, church, let us lift, let us lift up our praise to the Lord God, who saves, for from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. Amen. Let's pray. Our God in heaven, you have warned us of much in this short epistle. Things that we wish were not, and yet the way of these last days are evil. And yet, you do not leave us there, but you lift our eyes from the evil of this world and even the strife causing deceivers within the church, and you lift our eyes up to glory. Up to our Lord Jesus Christ oh thank you thank you that just as we who were once sinners you did not leave us there but you saved us by your grace through faith in Christ may we be a people of your word that we may remember may we be a people who contend for the faith but ultimately may we be worshipers of you in spirit and in truth we pray this in Jesus name Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to this week's sermon. We hope you have grown in your knowledge of and love for God. Covenant Presbyterian is a PCA church that meets for worship on Sunday mornings at 1030 a.m. Our address is 120 North 9th Street in historic downtown Fort Smith, Arkansas. For more information about Covenant, visit our website at www.cpcfs.com dot org